Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I only want to be with you, Diamond Doll. And I am a suffering bastard. <laughs> Welcome to episode 173, World War III, 1995. 60 men. Three rings. Three giants. One battle royal. Nice question mark. Mm-hmm. Three giants? Is there three giants? <laughs> and are they in the ring for very long? There's a guy that might as well be wearing a fucking stormtrooper mask, as far as I'm concerned. Sub Sub Zero. The I mean, Yeti. They were like, "Well, Mortal Kombat's big." Well, he's not dressed like a mummy anymore. No, so he's dressed like plus yeah, for that, I guess. But I guess he's dressed like Scorpion from Mortal Kombat. Yeti point oh, which is at least fun, but Yeti point oh. <laughs> oh, so this is the inaugural World War Three, produced by WCW. It would take place on November twenty sixth, nineteen ninety five, from the Norfolk Sculpt in Norfolk, Virginia. Can I ask a question? Yes. How many sad bastards are going to be attending this show? Twelve thousand. <laughs> That's a whole lot of bastards. We watch the matches, so you don't have to. So this is going to be probably a goofy one. Just heads up, <laughs> yeah, off the it's top. It's possible. Yeah. You know. It has its fun moments. But because yeah. it's a goofy one, I bet Shane's probably helping with making it a little bit more goofy. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, we are, uh, here we are at World War Three, As you said, produced by WCW, and it is the Hogan era show. And, yeah, as the tagline suggests, 60 men, three rings, three giants, one battle royal. As I said at the end of the last show, I think this needs some alcohol. Yeesh. So that's what I did. Yeah. Um, I would say that the Cold War is is strong again. Nukes are pointed at from Russia to the United States, and we, never, we don't know when they're going to go off. The doomsday clock. Is almost at midnight, what and year uh, is this? we are we are we are sipping from the bottle to calm our nerves. Yes, uh, as we go to case, sleep with the radio on. Star Trek glasses. Yeah, Star Trek glasses. Here. <laughs> Just setting the scene, guys. All I know is I'm down in mine, so it makes <laughs> yeah. this show even more fun. Pretty dang good. Yeah. So here we are, World War Three. I originally started looking for cocktails that were popular in the Virginia area. And then I decided, oh, let's see if I can find one that's called a World War Three. And I found one recipe for something with hip- hypnotic, but it just, it sounded too fun and flavorful. So I decided to uh, look a little deeper and something with I some didn't meat technically on the want to celebrate World War Three. And, you know, World War Two was already over. So I went with a <laughs> World War II oh, yeah. inspired We don't celebrate drink. war here over no. at the Wrestling History X podcast. We do not. It's 1995 when we go to the bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking it was like, oh, uh, you could do 
a like a play on the uh, flame and mo called the flame and yeti, where it's like you just take a little oh, bit, you just pour crazy. a little bit of everything out of any liquor bottle that's in your house, and then in the flaming mo, you top he tops it off with like children's cough syrup. Mm-hmm. We probably use like grenadine or something because. You can't just be drinking cough syrup, guys. Come uh, on. Have you ever tasted Diamond Tap? Hello? Diamond Tap's all right. It's, it's delicious. Good. <laughs> it's pretty solid. Yeah. WHX does not endorse the drinking of cough syrup. Yeah, yeah we're yeah, we're, uh, we're just going to... Next time we have World War II, World War Three Part Two of 96, so I guess we just need to... You, you'll show up with like a bottle of Robitussin with a straw in it. For yeah, we're just gonna get like Everclear and Robitussin. You know, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna trip this bad boy. <laughs> Anywho, found a World War II inspired cocktail known as the Suffering Bastard, and you know, foreshadowing. <laughs> as I said, the the drink was inspired kind of by the show and it reminded me a little bit of the show and the name of it just sounded too perfect to go along with it. So that's what I went with. Uh, It is a concoction that has some Cavassier, it has some dry gin, it's got a lime cordial, it's got some fresh squeezed lime juice in it as well, a few dashes of the Angostura bitters, and then shaken, strained into a glass, topped with a ginger beer, so little details of the uh, suffering bastard. They gave you when they didn't have antiseptics in the, in the field after you got your arm I mean, it's shot actually off. not. It's, it's a whole lot better than I was expecting just because I've never had one before, never heard of one before, and gin isn't really my favorite. And then you mix in some brandy with it, and it's like, what the hell are we doing here? Yeah. But, this is like a, a summer cocktail, but not in a fruity way? Yes. Um, suffering bastard was... Invented by Joe Skialum. Skialum. He was a trained chemist. He worked in the Sudan. He was an Egyptian Jew, apparently, with an Italian background. Born and raised in Egypt. Oh, so he's uh, you know, comes from a, a slave background. Yeah. Uh, Jews built the pyramids, uh, <laughs> unless it was aliens. He was barkeeping at a shepherd's hotel in Cairo, Egypt, during World War II, in an effort to help uh, with what he could do best. He developed a recipe. That was supposed to act as a hangover cure for the Allied troops. More alcohol. And yeah. Instead, it became a, a fairly tasty cocktail. So, watching the show perhaps may. I should have drank one of these after the hangover-ish. show. Hangoverish. Yes. <laughs> but hey, we'll at least be sipping on it while we're discussing it. Absolutely. So, so something that happened right around the same time as World War Three, Casino Woo! and Toy Story. Woo! Would be released earlier in the week. I mean, two bangers. Yep. Right? Yeah. I mean, everyone's like, Goodfellas, Goodfellas, Goodfellas. I think that it's one of those things where everybody's seen Goodfellas more. I think Casino is uh, just as good, or every time you watch it, you've seen it less, so you're like, damn, what a good movie. Casino's so long. It is, but it doesn't feel long. That I think that's the reason why. it is. I don't think it feels that long. (laughs) Personally, I don't think it feels long, but I bet their running times are pretty close And see, I think for me, Casino... I think Casino's close to three hours, and Goodfellas is only... I think it's less than two. Oh, it's more than two. It's gotta be. Yeah, Casino has the, the Sharon Stone factor to it, which... She doesn't get to do much, but she's so hot, it's fine. And see, that's that's what I don't like and about she has Sharon a good Stone, is, is that 
she tries to use her hotness as her character for the majority of the roles that she's in. It's um, like, just act already. Yeah, unfortunately, Sharon, Sharon Stone kind of got a rough deal by getting too big too fast yeah. and then having too big of a head. Yeah. But, like, it's kind of a shame because if she, if she slow-goed it, she m- may have gotten some better roles and not have not have been, like, thrown away so fast yeah. by Hollywood. I mean... She did great in this one, right? She yeah, she's really good at won being a Golden Globe for yeah, it. Was she, nominated for I think her first Oscar for yeah. and uh, one of my actress. one of my favorite. I don't know. It's hard to see like oh, one of my favorite songs. A song I really love gets uh, used in this movie in one of the scenes she has. What a difference a day makes by Dina Washington, which is such a beautiful and wonderful song. The animatronic Joe Pesci at the end that somehow looks good. It's awesome. I love Casino. I think it's. I think that it's one of those things where people. I always thought the casino was like right after Goodfellas, but Scorsese makes like two movies in between. Yeah, I think one of them might be Cape Fear, and not Kundun, but something else. But yeah, I mean, it's Scorsese. Even the movies that he's made that like you don't love are still worth watching. It's kind of like Spielberg. It's like, well, he's just good. I don't know about that, but... <laughs> I don't know. I like. I, I haven't watched a Scorsese movie that I, like, hated. I haven't seen everything. See, I, I started The Irishman, and then I had to turn it off. You made Cape Fear and Age of Innocence in between the two. Uh-huh. So, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen Age of Innocence. That's a Daniel Day-Lewis... Uh, the only Daniel... Or, no, the first time you worked with Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis and... Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like Cruel Intentions. Yeah, but it's, like, in the... A time period. I don't know when yeah. exactly. I have not seen that one. Nineteenth century New York high society. Sounds great. Uh, I should watch it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'll like it. I feel like that Scorsese is one of those guys where it's like, even if you don't like it, it's nice context for such a important and long career. Yeah. One of those things where it's like, oh, you don't. I don't love every Spielberg movie I've seen, but like I don't regret watching it because yeah, he's I'm more likely Spielberg. to give them a chance just because I know what yeah. he's capable. Even of. if I didn't love the movie, like there's gonna be something good about it, and you know that it was made well, shot well, like you know. And then there's Toy Story. Toy Story. I do. You guys um, have any toy, like memories from seeing Toy Story the first time? I have a very vivid one. Tell us yours, because I probably didn't see it until it was on. Okay, I, I vividly remember waiting in a line that was at a standalone theater uh, as a kid that to get into the uh, theater in the early afternoon, late morning, that was wrapped around the building nice. to get in wow. to see Toy Story and uh, being like, oh yeah, that was great. I mean, it was a huge deal. I was a kid, so I wasn't like, it's not like I had good a film opinions or anything and then I recently within the last couple of years went back and rewatched all the Toy Stories because I didn't really remember two and then when three and four came out I just was like oh, I didn't really have strong feelings and then going back and rewatching all of them I'm like well, all these movies are good yes what's your favorite one uh, for, I'll give you my I go two one four three that's my Toy Story ranking. From bottom to top? From, uh, no, top to bottom. So two is my number one, one is my number two, then four, then three. Wow. And that's looking like it. Like, Two's the best one. Wow. Two's easily the best one. Well, that's my personal opinion. <laughs> How about you, Shane? You got an order? For me, 
See, one and four are my my top two choices. Oh, I love I that. I've only I love watched, that opinion about four. I've only watched part four one time, though, but it, it definitely got me in my feels. But I think i got to go with the original first. Four, three, four two. Four got you in your feels? Yeah, dude. I think that four is better, way better than three. You don't know what it's like to be in your 40s yet, fully. I think four is... Uh, I do know yeah. what it's like to be in my 40s. <laughs> fully. Yeah. I'm almost but, halfway through them already. Yeah, I think that four is... The emotions I think four just is underrated keep worse, shit. man. I think four is underrated as What's well. yours? Then. Matt's three number one. Three one two four. Yeah, like, uh, I yeah. could not. Uh, you know what's? Like, you know what's? Four, yeah. four is not a Toy Story movie. It is a Woody story. It is. It, a is. Woody it is a Woody movie. I agree. I, I'm a Tom Hanks man. Yeah. And if I, I were, agree it, that. And, I, and I went and saw Lightyear, and if I were to include it, it's fifth. Okay. It, yeah. I mean, Lightyear. I wasn't see, yeah. super. I feel like Lightyear should have been a Disney Plus movie, but I haven't seen it, so I don't know. Uh, people. It, a, you will be whelmed. Yeah, it'll be fine. It's a it's a like three of five, a six of ten. It's a cute movie. If it wasn't a Lightyear movie, a Buzz Lightyear movie, it would be a good movie. If it wasn't a Pixar movie, it would be you would be impressed, impressed. by the movie. But it's a it's a it's. But it's both of those things, and so you're like expecting more. It's very mid Pixar, and it's yeah. just yeah yeah okay yeah. But I mean that's Plus, the premise of it. It's just I, I'm just gonna throw this out here because it's my hot take. Hmm. Any kid, could, like so. Spoiler, sorry. It's fine. The what Lightyear is is the movie that Andy watches. Yeah. That makes him want to get the Buzz Lightyear action figure. Yes. Yeah, okay? I know that's the premise. If you watch this movie, Buzz Lightyear is the worst character, and you want socks. Mm-hmm. The cat. Mm-hmm. To be the, the cat is the best character. Really. I mean, it's very cute. I've seen the trailers. Yep. And like that cat is very cute and it's and a, a very cool that design. Want Buzz Lightyear, I'm just like, no, you were wrong. <laughs> and but also, also socks is second, not in the second other hot take. In the, yeah. Second hot take. Yeah. Andy would have watched this movie in the late '80s, early '90s, and it would have been and, awesome. it, and it's the most progressive movie of all time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no f words, <laughs> which were very, very uh, common in uh, late '80s children's movies. We've all seen Monster Squad. Like, damn, they let those kids say that. Nards. What's <laughs> yeah, yeah. <Plus> a version? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you know what I love about it. I saw it. it was I thought it was was cute. Yeah. I don't. It, it gets it's a, a lot of it's hate. A, it's a solid film. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not. It's, I would not tell you to go people, and see it in the theater. Yeah, but it's worth a lot. I probably if you go see it in the theater, see it in 3D, just yeah. because you at least get the the it's, digital yeah. effects of it all. It's crazy that the last couple of Pixar movies, I think, were pretty good this is the first Pixar movie to be released into theaters in, I know. in three years and that's why I'm like this I, This one feels like it should be the Disney Plus one exactly because like I think Luca was incredible and uh, Turning Red was nice because it was something different but like Buzz it's like do we, nobody needs nobody's clamoring for a Buzz Lightyear movie and see I was excited I to was see excited it because I, I just wanted it I didn't go into it knowing much about it at all I just wanted to see what they were doing with it but I I went into it almost positive that it wasn't going to be a Toy Story movie, and it's not a Toy Story movie. That's it's, good. It's at it's least I got much away a, from it. It's as much a, a a Toy Story movie as Joker is a Batman movie. Good point. You know, it's that, got yeah. that's very true. It's got a dusting on it. It's its own story because you know it was supposedly there Can't before wait for Toy Joker Story was sequel. a thing. It's going to be a musical, right? Right. Yes. That's sure. Lady Sounds Gaga. Great. And, and yeah. Joaquin. Okay, enough. Okay, before, yeah, before we move on, I just want to say that I think that it's great that we all have uh, different 
like favorite Toy Story or like our Toy Story rankings are all different. I think that's really cool because that's not typically how sequels work. So that proves that all of these movies are at least baseline interesting. Oh yeah, I like the last ten minutes of three. I just I bawled completely. Mm-hmm. Thing and four did nothing. Yeah, so. I think for three, the thing that that got me wasn't the thing that got everyone else. The thing that got me was when he passes the toys off. To the little girl. No, no, okay. that's the part that gets me. Okay, because the, the, ba- the bear part, I'm like, that's sad. Yeah, but, where, they're, like, where they're about to get like burned up, and was like, of course they're not going to get burned up. Like, duh, like that's silly. Why would you get emotional about that? But the, I mean, that that's good stuff. I agree. And she is so much better than Andy. She's great, oh, yeah, and totally. Andy stinks. I mean, at least in the first <laughs> I, movie and stuff. I was hoping Toy Story Four was going to be the little girl playing with the toys, and then it was a Woody story, and I was just like, yeah, yeah, I understand Which, that. I mean, I liked Bo Peep. Showing back up. That was cool. Yeah. Because Bo Peep hadn't been in the movie since I really wish that one, they so. explored... Um, I love Joan Cusack. The, uh, I love Forky Jesse. more. I think that Forky could have been explored Forky, a lot more. Forky was horrible. I like Forky. I'm pro-Forky, and I wish that it was explored more. Forky was... Yeah, Forky was dumb. Horrible. I like Forky. I'm pro-Forky. All right. Before we keep going down this Toy Story... <laughs> yeah, let's while we're talking about baby stuff, let's talk about... Instead of being mad stuff. about Forky... Let's be yeah. mad about some wrestling. WCW declares war. Right into clips of action before getting the logo of the show, as we are told about the biggest battle royal ever. 60 man. Tony Schiavone then welcomes us to the show, and he's joined by Bobby the Brain Heenan at ringside. Mm. They give their predictions for the main event with Tony saying Hogan, and the Brain saying Savage, but almost immediately changes his mind to the Giant. Mm. Schiavone starts previewing the other matches when Bobby all of a sudden changes his pick to Flair. There you go. Bobby's in the sauce, too. We go to Mean Gene on a podium with Hulk, Macho Man, and Stink. And Oakland says many people are picking Hogan to win, and the Hulkster starts to speak about taking a walk to the dark side, but he never made the final step. Hogan removes his black bandana and shirt, throwing him into a trash can, which proceeds to light on fire. Yeah, he's squeezing the last juice out of the hot dog for Hulkamania. <laughs> Hulk claims that he will <laughs> never question his friends again, as he'd been paranoid ever since Halloween Havoc. Right. Wanting to be friends with Stinger and Savage forever. And he had pulls out like a uh, like quote-unquote dirt rag sheet, like the uh, like the newsletter stuff and he's like nah it's all on they're like selling the internet on this show they're like comp you serve and he's like burning it up he's like nah it's all on the internet man the internet has the scoops brother and I'm like what a weird thing to do Okerlund sends us to a video package with DDP cutting a promo on Johnny B. Bad challenging him to a match and Kimberly begins to speak but Paige tells her to zip it only for her to have enough of it and tell him to zip it before leaving. You wouldn't know a 10 if you if it was staring you in the face. And it's like, she's staring in the face. She's staring at you in the face. It's a 10. Uh, the, I love that the fire goes out of control. And they keep like trying to fan it. And then Sting like, grabs a water bottle and dumps it on it. They're like, oh, well, we didn't really think about this. But like, what did they put in the bottom of that bucket? Gasoline? You probably shouldn't do that. Where's fire break a chip when you need them? Yep. We cut to a later promo where the Diamond Doll puts herself up as a prize in the match. Because she knows what the championship means to DDP. Saying he cares more about titles and possessions than her. If he can win that title, 
if you can keep that title, maybe or win win it, right? Win it, win it yeah. <laughs> then it'll yeah, it proves that uh, he's fighting for her. So we head to our first match: Diamond Dallas Page with the Diamond Doll versus Johnny B. Bad for the WCW Television Championship and the services of the Diamond Doll. I know, it went from baby doll to diamond doll. So if he gets diamond doll, will she become like the bad babe? Ooh, that's good. Mm. So Paige still has the bad blasters. So Johnny comes out with Roman candles in his entrance. His spark blasters. The two men argue with each other before locking up, where it turns into a scuffle out to the floor, where DDP goes for a bulldog, only to be shoved off into the ring post. Post is. Back in the ring, Paige is taken down with a crossbody, but he uses his momentum to end up on top for a two-count. DDP starts running the ropes, only to be caught by Bad for a Samoan drop for a near fall, before going into a headlock. The two men then trade arm locks using hair pulls to escape, when Paige charges, only for Johnny to duck, sending DDP tumbling out to the floor. Bad then fakes out with a bad moon, before transitioning into a slingshot plancha. And Johnny looks for the tutti fruity, but Paige is using Kimberly as a shield. Boo, Rudy. Allowing him to sucker punch Bad and toss him into the guardrail. Back in the ring, DDP takes control with a back suplex and a reverse pancake. Turns to get a 10 from the Diamond Doll. Oh no, he didn't. But she refuses. <laughs> Paige keeps up the attack with clotheslines, back elbows, and a shoulder tackle. Charges into the corner only for Johnny to move, firing up with punches, an atomic drop, and a clothesline, which gets him a 10-plus from Kimberly. Ooh. After he I, called her a bimbo earlier in the match. I like how she actually had a sign that said 10-plus. 10-plus. Bag continues with a sit-out powerbomb for a two-count, but then charges into a back elbow in the corner, allowing DDP to make a cover with leverage for a near fall. Page follows that up with a tilt-a-whirl side slam for a two-count, with Johnny countering into a crucifix for a near fall. DDP goes for another tilt-a-whirl something, but Bad reverses it into a head-scissors takedown. Johnny goes out to the apron for a bad move, into the ring, but Page gets his knees up. DDP then hits a gut-wrench gut-buster for a two-count, goes for a second one, only for Bad to float over but is taken down by a back elbow. Page then picks Johnny up for a tombstone pile driver, which is reversed into one by Bad for a near fall. Johnny then lands the tutti fruity punch, sending DDP through the ropes to the floor, where he follows out with the bad mood, a slingshot somersault plancha, rolling him back in for a slingshot leg drop for the pin and, and no win. win. Post-match, the Diamond Doll is shocked. She looks stunned. Looks like she has some regrets about putting herself on the line. You just don't know. But she enters the ring and hugs Johnny, all while still looking at Paige. I mean, that's good character work by her for sure. She's uh, Miss elizabeth it out. Don't know what you got till it's gone. Will mean, we fight for her? Mean Jean is in the aisle way. And he plugs the hotline, saying there is some late-breaking information about the WWF steroid scandal. Shots fired. Referencing possible witness tampering. 
but nothing ever came of that. No. Just so you know. Well, we're, McDivitt's about to, you know, try again. Bad and Kimberly then join Oakland, where Bad says that's no way to treat a lady. So we had to teach DDP some R-E-S-P-C-T. Mean Jean <laughs> seems to think that Diamond Doll has to spend the rest of her life with Johnny. And Bad doesn't seem to think so either. He gives her the choice to be his manager, but she has time to think about it. He wants it to be her choice. He respects her. Before giving her a motivational speech about reaching her goals. Kimberly calls it a night of mixed emotions and thinks the better man has won tonight. Solid start. These guys have had some fun matches. It's a fun match. Solid angle. So we head to our second match. The Tape Fist Challenge. Big Bubba Rogers versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan in a taped fist match. So there's a story behind this match. As Hacksaw had gone to Ireland to research his family history, discovering that his grandmother was a taped fist boxing champion. (laughs) As he found a picture of her, which was just Duggan dressed up as an old woman. After this revelation, Hacksaw would start winning his matches with a taped fist, which would bring the ire of Big Bubba and VK Wall Street. Duggan would cost Rogers a match with Evad, when Hacksaw would put Ralph the Rabbit into the ring, causing Big Bubba to have an allergic reaction. My God, I can't believe that this is the story, because they didn't tell us any of this, and it is insane. He would later cost Rogers another match by tripping him up, causing Bubba to fall on his own taped fist, knocking him out. He fell on his own knife. Yeah, hoisted by his own petard. (laughs) Uh, This is some goof nugget stuff that honestly is kind of fun. Wow. I think that's that's the alcohol talking. Shout out to, you know, Hacksaw. Prayers and uh, vitamins are ingested for you. We don't love you in the ring, but we love you as a guy. <laughs> as, uh, may, he's fighting may, cancer at the moment. May the spirit of your tape fist grandmother be shining down on you now and always. Now, then, now. Forever. Forever. Together. together. <laughs> so the last time we saw Hacksaw was at Bash at the Beach 95, all the way back in episode 159. And the rules of this match are that you can win by pin or by knockout. Okay. Which is basically how you win but every match, wrestling for match, just no submission. Yeah, it's like, well, spoiler alert, they spend a lot of time on the floor, so I guess that's not a problem. I guess not. I mean, I guess they go in, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there. As Rogers makes his way to the ring, Duggan would run out with his fist taped to his elbows. But he does have a sling to hold his 2x4, attacking from behind. Yeah, the sling 2x4 got me. Hacksaw is just throwing Bubba around the outside before rolling him into the ring, where he tries to use the 2x4, only for the ref to stop him. The two men begin to trade punches and clotheslines that send Rogers out to the floor, with Duggan following out to continue the attack over to a second ring. Oh, man. We didn't even mention this, but there are three rings set up. You have your main one, like in the middle, and then there's two on the left or right of it. You know, for the main event later. What is a nice touch is that the crowd, they like have some, you know, because it's like three rings. So, yeah, some different front row experiences where they like fill in the gaps, which I think is pretty neat. Mm Because it's like, oh, if you're going to do that, like, you don't want everybody to be that much further away or whatever. So, like, I think that's a cool idea. 
Hacksaw traps Bubba's head between posts of a couple of the rings to continue the punishment before knocking him loose with the right hand. Oh, Bobby says, Why does everyone have to fight on the floor? What do you think the thing with the ropes is called? (laughs) (laughs) Duggan jumps off the apron with a single sledge, but Rogers avoids, sending Hacksaw crashing into the guardrail and allowing Bubba to attack with uppercuts. Back in the ring, Rogers keeps it up with more right hands, chokes, when Duggan escapes out to a different ring, only for Bubba to follow and hit an enziguri before focusing on the ribs of Hacksaw until he can retaliate with a shoulder tackle to send Rogers out to the floor. The two men head back to our original ring where Bubba ties Duggan's arm to the ropes with tape before just punching away some more until he charges at Hacksaw, running right into an outstretched fist. I love that. He runs into him and Jim Duggan just holds his fist out. Uh, yeah, it's like yeah, it's like <laughs> something that like uh, a little kid would do if he was getting like like picked on by his little brother where he like cover his head and put his fist out and he just like runs into it. I got a good chuckle out of it. Duggan would backdrop Rogers out to the floor, allowing him time to free himself to brawl some more on the floor before delivering a body slam and a three-point stance clothesline inside the ring. VK Wall Street would then make his way out with a chain wrapped around his fist, only for Hacksaw to notice him and grab the 2 by 4 nailing VK as he jumps on the apron, causing him to drop the chain in the ring, where Bubba grabs it to nail Duggan across the jaw for the knockout. Ten count. Bum, bum, bum. So... When they did the first Nitro, he was, they called him, they didn't call him VK Wall Street. Wasn't it just Mr. Wall Street? I think it was just Mr. Wall Street. Yeah, yeah, but it's funny because VK, it's like, oh, I was trying to figure out what it was on the show, and I was like, what, they're calling him Wall Street, so I just wrote, you know, Wall Street or his actual name, because we all know who he is, but VK Wall Street, Vincent Kennedy, Kennedy. and Mm -hmm. uh, he's... This is not a publicly traded comedy. Yeah, we got about four and a half, five years ago to get there. Very uh, funny stuff. We got stuff. much longer than that to go. Well, I thought he was publicly traded in like 99? Mm-hmm. It was like 2000. Oh, really? I thought it was around the time that they were doing like Super Bowl commercials in like the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, because... That great Super Bowl commercial that we all remember and love. It was a really good commercial. I'm trying to remember. It's like now. through ta- Titan like Towers. You maybe remember? Uh, <laughs> it was through Titan Towers, and you know, it was good. Yeah, I don't remember. People that were one. slamming stuff and shit. It's cool. Stone Cold, Mankind, everyone's there. Okay, I think I vaguely remember that now. Yeah. Tony then talks the remaining card before telling fans they can chat with WCW stars on CompuServe. Thanks. Get the internet. And he asks, he asks Heenan if he's ever chatted on CompuServe with the brain saying yes. Miming using a typewriter to show he knows what he's doing. Because he literally, like... Does the thing, slides it. He types and then he slides the... <laughs> so, wow, they're really shilling some... CompuServe, yeah, the Communications internet. here. Oh. Call us on the yeah. hotline. It's, yeah, Karate Get Fighters. Get us on the World Wide Web. Karate Fighters on one channel and the internet on the other. Mean Jeans at the interview podium with Ric Flair. Saying they're in his old stomping grounds. But Sting wants revenge. And Nate says the whole world knows the Nature Boy will style and profile. Claiming that the Stinger almost ended his career on Nitro. But I'm back. Because that's the way it is, where you like it or not. Yeah, he says just like Dr. J ruled the scope. 
Ric Flair will rule the WCW one more time. And I was just like, I sure hope so. <laughs> that would be great. We'd love that. Okerlund then moves on to discuss the battle royal with Flair, responding that it is his master plan to get Sting, Hogan, and Savage under the same roof at the same time. Doesn't that happen every week at Nitro? (laughs) I mean, yeah. That's what I thought, too. Yeah, unless Hogan's uh, not there. They were just under the same roof just like 30 minutes ago. Yeah. I mean, they're under the same roof right now. <laughs> <laughs> we go to our third match. Cutie, Suzuki, and Mayumi Azaki versus Bull Nakano and Akira Hokuto with Sunny Ono. So Mike Tanay joins the commentary booth for this match, telling us it is an interpromotional matchup as Bull and Akira represent all Japan, while Cutie and Mayumi represent Japan Women Pro. I mean, yeah, uh, we've seen some of these women before. I believe three of them. We haven't seen Nagano or Hakuto since Collision in Korea, episode 161. We have not seen the other two. Okay, I thought we've seen uh, Mayumi Osaka. Nope. But we have not. Okay, cool. So Bull and Akira jump their opponents, hitting a double-team clothesline on Ozaki, followed by Nagano whipping her around by the hair. More double teams, hair whips, biting and chokes, until Mayumi fires up, only for Bull to absorb the attacks. Ozaki finally hits a DDT, allowing her to make a tag to Suzuki, where they do their own double teaming, including stereo half crabs. Love it. That's always fun. Especially when it's like two smaller girls on one bigger girl. Stereo half crabs? Yeah. Stereo half crab? That's pretty good. I've tried to think of good uh, wrestling, like subtle wrestling things for band names, and I can never come up with a good one. Uh, the best eye gouge. There's already been a band called Eye Gouge. I don't know why. Seven Cent Rope was always my. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that one sounds like a pop punk band. <laughs> Cutie's working the leg of Akira until Nakano tosses her off, allowing a tag to be made. And Bull sends the Suzuki running the ropes with Cutie going for a dropkick, but Nakano moves, causing Suzuki to nail Mayumi, sending her flying off the apron to the floor. Oh my god. Bull delivers a power bomb and heads up top for a moonsault, but Cutie is able to avoid, followed by her and Ozaki coming off the top with several flying stomps for a two-count. They then attempt a double-team suplex, but it's reversed by Nakano, followed by a tagged in Hakuto, who flies in with a crossbody that is avoided by everybody. <laughs> Poor girl. Suzuki and Mayumi with a double drop kick to Bull, followed by setting Akira on the top rope for a double team superplex. But Bull recovers to just yank them both down, allowing Akuto to hit the flying crossbodies to both ladies. Akira and Nakano then send them to the ropes, attempting power bombs, only to be countered with stereo huracaranas for a near fall. Yeah. Cutie and Azaka head to the top ropes, coming off with a flying clothesline for a two count. Mayumi then delivers a bridging half Nelson suplex to Akuto for a near fall, but Akira retaliates with a bridging German that lands Ozaki right on her head. Oh, sick. <laughs> I know, I was like, right on her head, it looks brutal. Uh-huh. Bulls back in with a clothesline for a two count as Suzuki makes a save. 
which just allows Nakano to grab them both for a double clothesline, which they duck, only for Akuto to fly in with a double <sighs> missile dropkick, sending them out to the floor. I love the split leg dropkick off the top. It's one of my favorite things, and this one is so smooth because you don't see it coming at all. It's uh, I really love that moment because it's just like, oh, no, she was just there. Yep. Right oh. there, right in the oh. cut. No one's waiting around for it. It's just right there. Some of these women wrestlers Dropping are bombs. so good at keeping everything so fluid and like, there's crazy spots, but they never seem forced. Akira then comes off the top rope with a somersault plancha as well, followed by a doomsday device back into the ring to Azaki, only for Cutie to break up the pin. Akuto then tosses Suzuki back out to the floor before body slamming Mayumi, followed by Bull coming off the top rope with a leg drop for the pin and the win. Bull leg drop is just always it's so spot on it, perfect. Yeah, it's so solid because it's so simple, but she's just like at a perfect 90 degree angle and just like thuds right. so well that it looks Dear cool. Orange Goblin, learn to do that leg drop. Yeah, if Hogan did a leg drop at the top, we'd have more respect for him. Well, hell, if he could just connect with his normal one the way she connects <laughs> with that one, you know, or yeah, even he, near that. Yeah, if the man could jump at all. Yeah. Bobby Heenan said that he's seen it all. And I'd say we've seen just about everything we could in a, a match this fun and kinetic. And we can thank Mike Tanay for all the information. He let us know that Kinsuke Sasaki uh, and Akira Hokuto got married after beating each other on a wrestling show. Like They got married like a week later. Yeah. So I hope they're still happily married. Mean Gene is then on the stage where he welcomes Jimmy Hart and Lex Luger. And Oakland calls Jimmy a little twerp, which is ignored, before mocking Savage and telling Lex he will be the next champion because he has the mouth of the South in his corner. Luger goes for a high five, but Hart leaves him hanging, so Lex pretends he's just waving to the crowd. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Bean Gene then says Macho said Luger wouldn't even make it to the Battle Royal. But Lex calls himself the flagship of WCW. He's the past, present, and future before promising to break Savage into pieces and become champion. And in the entire time he's saying this, it's very obvious he's looking at cue cards because yep. he never looks at the camera the entire time he's talking. Yeah, he couldn't remember 100 little pieces. Oakland then ends the interview by mocking Luger for being so oily, asking if it was... 10W40. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, if if that was uh, a match between Mean Gene and Lex Luger, Mean Gene is your new cooler guy than Lex Luger. So that leads us to our fourth match. The Crippler, Chris Benoit, versus Kenzuke Sasaki. Husband to Akira Hokuto. <laughs> with Sonny Ono for the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship. I mean, I was surprised and excited for this. So the last time we saw the U.S. title was at the first Nitro that we covered, when Sting had it. But since then, had he had lost it to Kanzuki at a show in Japan a couple of weeks prior. And the last time that we saw either one of these gentlemen was at Collision in Korea, episode 161. And also, I don't know if anyone else noticed, but the Crippler 
had a few fingers raised as he walked out to the to the ring. Yep, and I was like, I should have known he was the fourth man. But uh, the fourth man is Chris Benoit. So that makes Chris Benoit, Brian Pillman, Arian Anderson, Ric Flair. Come on. Two old brutes and uh, and two young, you know, studs. Yep. I would almost say, other than the original original. Yeah. With Tully and, and uh, Ole. Mm-hmm. This is the best Four Horsemen rendition. He, there. Yeah, this seems like the like if if Hogan wasn't in the way, this should be the fucking show. Yes, I mean that's that that's easy to say on on any show about almost anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Burn the hot dog. Yeah. <laughs> so Tony starts talking about the brain selling half of WCW Pro to Sonny Ono. So WCW Pro was one of the syndicated shows. Oh, okay. And I don't know if you guys remember, but the last WCW pay-per-view that we watched, Tony asked Brain about eating sushi. Do you remember that comment? Mm -hmm, Yeah. Well, that was, it was foreshadowing for this, because basically Heenan had sold half of WCW Pro, and so... New Japan Pro Wrestling wrestlers started showing up on WCW Pro. It's a good angle, a good reason to get them on there. It's fun. I knew you had that power, Bobby. Mm-hmm. Um, but, as we'll find out later, yeah. neither did anyone else. Yeah. This is where uh, Bobby gets like distracted by a Hooter girl, because the Hooters girls are still around. Uh, yeah, that's and, when they were at their height. Yeah, and he makes a... Uh, Sorry, at their peak. <laughs> and he makes a... <laughs> Hootie and the Blowfish uh, joke, which is where I got my I want to be with you. So our competitors begin by trading hard chops and kicks before going into a test of strength. T-O-S. I mean, I want to see a T-O-S between these guys. Bring it on. It's back and forth when Suzuki breaks free to hit multiple body slams and a press slam before going for a Boston Crab, only for the Crippler to power out, sending Kanzuki out to the floor. Benoit flies to the ropes with a tope suicida, where he almost hits head first into the garden. Yeah, again, mm. that was another sick landing. <laughs> the crippler rolls Sasaki back in the ring to deliver a snap suplex for a two count and locking on a triangle choke as Sonny joins our commentators. And Ono brings up that they have come to an agreement since the sell of WCW Pro did not go through. Because... As we mentioned, Heenan doesn't really have the power to sell half of it. No. So they start talking about Starcade as Kanzuki catches Benoit with a power slam. The Crippler comes back with rolling German suplexes, but Suzaki breaks free with a back elbow and nails Benoit with a clothesline. Kanzuki then goes for a tombstone pile driver. Only for Benoit to reverse and hit a flying headbutt off the top rope. For the pin... And no, no, Suzaki kicks out. I love that Bobby Heenan says, Canada says that Chris Benoit is Canada's best wrestler. (laughs) (laughs) The Crippler's laying it in with chops before setting Kazuki on the top to hit a super Frankensteiner for a near fall. Benoit's delivering kicks only for Suzaki to catch one and pick up the Crippler for a powerbomb. Kazuki then applies the stranglehold gamma which Benoit rolls immediately to the ropes to escape. 
The two men are trading clotheslines, with only the Crippler going down to the mat. Yes, he just absorbs the clothesline. He's the power warrior. Allowing Sasaki to pick him up for a Northern Lights bomb. For the pin. And, and the win. win. And still. Yeah, like I wasn't sure what that was. I said uh, it, it was a uh, Brain Buster-esque maneuver. <laughs> I was like, oh, what is that called? It looks great. So Mean Gene is on the stage now with the Giant, the Taskmaster, and Jimmy Hart. And Oakland tells the Giant that his father would be ashamed of him with his gra- with him growling in response. I cannot <laughs> wait until that storyline is dead. I feel like it just began. Sullivan says the Dungeon of Doom will be taking no prisoners during the Battle Royal, calling the Giant the uncrowned champion before calling all the people who have picked him to win tonight. Very smart. I mean, he did live after being dropped off of a building. That's very true. He's basically the Undertaker. Hart then calls Hogan, Sting, and Savage the Three Stooges, saying they are unafraid of the red and yellow, as only the Taskmaster can wear those colors. Right. Mean Gene then tries to stir up dissension in the Dungeon of Doom, but the Taskmaster is having none of it. The giant then threatens to throw Hulk over the ropes before giving us all a poem. Oh my god. Roses are red, yeah. violets are blue. I'm going to kick your butt to, to Kalamazoo. Kalamazoo. <sighs> yeah, it's like. Who wrote that for you, Paul? Yeah. Oh, Kevin Sullivan told me about that one. <laughs> we go back to Shivani, who plugs Starcade with a graphic that has the wrong day on it. So Tony has to correct it before sending it to a video package. Awesome. <laughs> Where we see the various confrontations and matches between Luger and Savage, including the Lex turn on Hogan and Macho. We would see Luger and Shark attack Savage on Nitro during a match with Ming, injuring the arm of Macho Man. Back to Mean Gene now with Savage on the stage, calling him nervous and jittery. And Macho just says that's his personality and charm. Yeah, I love it. He's like, it is what it is. I'm always jittery. And it's like, yeah, we know. You're always jittery, Macho. But I'm glad that you know that that's true. Savage continues by saying that Lex will find out that he's the total package. And Oakland brings up the injury. And Macho just responds that he is a million percent. That's better than a hundred percent. Oh, thanks. As his music hits. I love... And Macho's like, I'm the total pack. And it's like, you are the total package, Macho Man. Yep. We all know it. And I kind of dig these uh, last couple times between Macho and Gene. Oh, yeah. yeah. Macho, Macho's just having fun at the Oh, yeah. Like, is crooked. They've known each other for a long time. So it's like, oh, this is like, this isn't only easy, but it's fun. It's like, oh, we're already, yeah, I'm not worried about that. Mean yeah. Gene's not trying to like worry about time. He knows Macho Man's got this. Yeah, and Savage is just, you know, hanging with. Pervy Uncle Gene. Yeah, Savage can not say a word. He doesn't have to say a word. So we go to our fifth match. Macho Man Randy Savage versus the total package Lex Luger. And Macho doesn't go to the ring from the stage. He actually walks back around to backstage to come out through the curtain. He's at full entrance, man. I just thought it was funny. Yeah, it is funny. Once he takes his jacket off, we see that his arm is wrapped in heavy bandages. 
But Hogan told us he wasn't hurt at the beginning of the show, guys. The internet scoops were wrong. I know. Um, so, you know, follow. I think, I mean, Savage I just think, told I us. I think Meltzer may have had it right in the old Observer. <laughs> Savage just told us he's a million percent, and that's better than a hundred percent. Maybe he's uh, playing possum. Could be. So Savage jumps Lex as he enters the ring, choking him on the ropes, ramming him into the corners, until Luger surprises him with a boot and tries for a clothesline, only for Macho to duck and deliver a clothesline of his own. Savage applies a Boston Crab, which Lex breaks by reaching for the ropes, so they take the fight to the floor, where Luger has his head slammed into a guardrail. A couple of times. Lex is rolled back into the ring where Macho hits a body slam and goes up top for the Savage Elbow. For the pin! And no! Jimmy Hart has the ref distracted. Damn it, Jimmy. Macho attempts to throw Luger into Jimmy, but Hart moves in time, so Lex just goes out to the floor. boy, Jimmy. Savage follows out to continue the punishment, but Luger reverses an Irish whip to send Macho into the apron of one of the rings. Lex locks on a torture rack. On the floor. Jimmy Hart's just yelling. Whatever hey, Jimmy Hart yells. Hey, dude, you have to get back in the ring to win like that. Yeah, and it's a long torture rack. He really holds him up there. So back in the ring, Lex then applies an armbar with Savage passed out. So the ref calls for the bell for the win. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, how like, I feel about that. Sting gets in... Post-match. Yeah, okay, yeah, post-match, sorry. <laughs> Luger sorry. won't let go of the arm when Sting arrives. And the Stinger just whispers something to him. So Lex releases the hold and leaves the ring. And Tony tells us that the same thing happened recently on Nitro, as Luger had whispered something into the Stinger's ear to get him to drop a hold on Flair. Conspiracy. Shivani sends us to a video package where it contains a montage of Flair's bouts with Arn Anderson, his search for help, and the turn at Howling Havoc. What a beautiful turn it was. Yes. We see footage of Sting facing the Nature Boy on Nitro where he wouldn't let go of the Scorpion Deathlock like we just talked about. Maybe the best moment in all of Halloween Havoc history at this point. And the narrator finishes with this will be the most intense Sting Flair matchup Ever. Ever. 89 was pretty good. <laughs> so we go to our sixth match. The Nature Boy, Ric Flair, versus Sting. And the two men stare each other down. Talking trash, but the Stinger gets the first punch in, sending Nate running to a different ring, calling for Sting to join him, which he does, just to continue with the press slam. I mean, we know that Sting loves to press slam Ric Flair. Yes. He does. I think it's part of his daily workout anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we saw it on Nitro. He pressed him like ten times. Flair pokes the eyes to back the stinger off and starts laying it in with right hands and chops. But Sting flies out of the corner with a clothesline and hits a ten count of punches. All ten of them. Before delivering a hip toss and a drop kick, sending the nature boy running again to another ring. The three rings is perfect for Flair. Yes. Because, like, he's just moving in and out of them and, like, goading his opponent. It's, like, he uses it the best. Like, Duggan and Bubba did some stuff with it, but, like, Flair, this is just, like, perfect for Flair to be a shithead. All of a sudden, Colonel Parker and Sister Sherry 
make their way out, and they take a seat on the stage area to watch the match. Yeah, I was kind of confused Why? about that. No clue. Never comes back up again. No, but Bobby Heenan has <laughs> At least this, on this yeah, show. Bobby Heenan has this beautiful line where he says, it looks like the top of a wedding cake. <laughs> Aww. Aww, which is very cute. Fresh. Nate's with more chops and punches, but Sting just absorbs them this time and fires back, sending Flair out to the floor to regroup. I mean, Sting, uh, Sting's got a, a little of Rick and a, a little of Hogan in him, and it's not as compelling as either, but we still love Sting. Yeah, he's got that savage side to him starting to grow on him. Yeah, yeah. Back in the ring, the Nature Boy starts doing hair pulls and more chops, but they're all no-sold. And the Stinger hits another press slam. Nate takes off around ringside with Sting giving chase. But Flair is able to send the Stinger towards the guardrail. But he's able to stop himself and give chase again, trying for a Stinger splash. Only for the Nature Boy to avoid sending Sting into the guardrail. I mean, that is, uh, that's, uh, Rick's brain for wrestling. It's like, no, stop yourself. It's gonna be better when you run when I move and run you into it, so I can be the smart shitbag uh, heel. Nate grabs a chair, but the ref prevents him from using it. So he goes back to chops, head slams into the guardrail, and eye rakes. They're back in the original ring, and Flair delivers a chop, but Stinger grabs a choke, which drops the Nature Boy to his knees to hit the little scorpions. <laughs> Nate begins to work the leg before distracting the ref allowing him to toss Sting over the ropes, following out to continue the attack by ramming him into the apron. They roll into a different ring again, where Flair rips at the face, delivers a back suplex, and locks on the figure four, where he punches and slaps the Stinger while he's in it, which causes Sting to fire up to reverse the hold. The Nature Boy then goes for a hip toss, only for Sting to reverse into a backslide for a two count which sends Nate shoving the ref, only to be shoved back by Nick Patrick. Nick Patrick ain't taking no shit. That's right. Don't fuck around. Flair returns his focus to the stinger, but he just absorbs his strikes again, so the Nature Boy takes off running back to the original ring, where he begs off to no avail, as Sting hits another press slam and multiple clotheslines. Nate then rakes the eyes to give him some separation, going up top, but the stinger meets him there, to press slamming off to the mat before whipping the nature boy to the corner for a flare flip to the apron where Sting lands a clothesline. I mean, uh, Sting's been around for a while. Another 10 count of punches, but Nate interrupts at five to hit an atomic drop, which the Stinger no-sells, setting Flair up on the top rope for a superplex. Stinger then applies the Scorpion Deathlock for the submission and, and the, the win. win. Clean win. No horsemen out to save. Most intense matchup ever. Damn right. It took three rings to contain him. And a million plus <laughs> press slams to put him down. Not even, no selling an atomic drop. Not even Sherry and Colonel Parker could distract them from this intensity. I don't know why they were there and the horsemen weren't. It makes no sense. Tony and the Brain recap our evening with Shivani questioning the conditions of all those who have already wrestled, with Heenan saying none of them will win the match. But your pick was Flair, Bobby. He changed his mind a few times. Mm -hmm. Tony then sends us to a video package, where we see Jimmy Hart betraying Hogan, 
and the Giant leaving with the belt. But WCW would strip him of the title, declaring that the winner of World War III would become the new champion. Mean Gene is then on the stage where he welcomes the Hulkster for and the second time because I guess he didn't have he didn't fi- he didn't finish all of what he had to say earlier. Oh, uh, what a fee fi fo fum! I smell the stench of the stinky giant one, brother. Oh, Kalamazoo! I know. Like, did Kevin Sullivan write both of their promos? <laughs> that was probably a Jimmy Hart. One. <laughs> okay, well that does. I can hear Jimmy Hart say that. I smell the stink of the stink Jimmy Hart can sell it. Hogan says he's focused on the giant, but he wants his belt back, claiming he never should have lost it, which sadly is technically true. Yeah. Sad but true. Cue Hulk, <laughs> Hulk then warns Stink and Savage they are marked men if they get in his way. But he then follows it up that he hopes he is there with his friends at the end. Only to then also say he wants to be alone with the giant. Make up your mind, brother. <laughs> Shivani and Bobby then show off big gold that still has Hogan's name on it. Tony then introduces our other announced teams for the main event. And Eric Bischoff with Dusty Rhodes. Big Dust. While Larry Zabisco is with Chris Cruz. As each one will cover one ring each, respectfully. Now, the last time we saw Dusty was at Fall Brawl 94, episode 131. Zabisco at Clash 27, episode 121. It's such a shame that Zabisco just isn't in this match. Not that and, it would matter. And Cruz at AAA When Worlds Collide, mm-hmm. episode 134. I mean, watch watch AAA When Worlds Collide, everybody. Yes. Can't, can't say enough of good about it. Yeah, surely they could have included Zabisco in this match. Pulled out. Anybody. Yeah, close, Mike Winner. Close, close eyes and touch screen. That person. Mm, yeah. So we head to our seventh match, the World War Three match for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. And you better believe, I noticed there was uh, forty minutes left in this show when this match was announced. I mean, it's the biggest battle royal ever. So Dave Pinzer announces all the participants as they're. Coming out through the curtains, and we'll start with Arn Anderson, Alex Wright, who we haven't seen since Best of the Super Juniors 2, episode 157, Brian Nobbs, who we haven't seen since Bash the Beach, episode 159, Barrio Brother Ricky, Squire David Taylor, huh? Scott Armstrong, who we know better as a referee in WWE, okay. Sting, Jumping Joey Mags. Uh-huh. Pistol Pete Wheatley, who we haven't seen since Starcade 86, episode 10, and he was a 2021 inductee to the WWE Hall of Fame. Get ready to dance because it's Disco Inferno, followed by Ming Stevie Ray, Mark Starr, who was a lumberjack at Bash at the Beach uh, in episode 159, Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker, and we haven't seen him since Starcade 1991, episode 64. Up next, we've got Lieutenant James Earl, last seen at Wrestle War 91, episode 53. Lex Luger, Eddie Guerrero, Cobra, The Giant, Paul Orndorff. Mr. Wonderful. Chris Canyon, who was also a lumberjack at Bash at the Beach, episode 159. Bobby Walker, the man who was supposed to tag with Ron Simmons at Clash 21, episode 78. 
but he got hurt, so we had the debut of Two Cold Scorpio. Earl Robert Eaton, Bash at the Beach, episode 159. Chris Benoit, Randy Savage, Marcus Bagwell, who we haven't seen since Halloween Havoc 94. Poor Bag. Episode 132. The Yeti. Yeti! Who's now dressed as a ninja. Mortal Kombat! <laughs> Kurosawa. Humorous. Who we haven't seen since Ultra Clash 93, episode 101, when he was Crash the Terminator. Followed by Zodiac, uh, Vincent Kennedy, Wall Street, Diamond Dallas Page, Scott Norton, Flying Brian Pillman, Sergeant Craig Pittman, The One Man Gang, who we have not seen since Great American Bash 1991, episode 57, Super Assassin number two, The Warlord who we have not seen since Royal Rumble 92, episode 66. It's been a while, buddy. Followed by Mr. J.L., Bunkhouse Buck, and Kensuke Sasaki. Mike Winner, The Shark. Steve Armstrong, one of the former Young Pistols, uh, who we haven't seen since Starcade 91, episode 64. Road Warrior Hawk, Dave Sullivan, last seen at Dash at the Beach 95, episode 159. Scotty Riggs, Luger's Flag Bearer at In Your House 2, episode 160. Oh, wow. Johnny B. Bad. Big Train Bart, better known as Black Bart, who we haven't seen since Super Brawl 1, episode 56. They're digging deep. Lord Steven Regal, Dirty Dick Slater, Max Muscle, Super Assassin number 1, a.k.a. The Barbarian, who we haven't seen since Royal Rumble 95. As Sione in episode 141. Barrio Brother Fidel, who we haven't seen since Halloween Havoc 89 as the Cuban Assassin. All the way back in episode 34. None other than Taskmaster comes out, followed by Jerry Sags, who we have not seen since Bash at the Beach, episode 159. Jim Duggan, ho. Booker T, Big Bubba Rogers, Ric Flair, and the last to enter... None other than (laughs) redacted. None other than Terry Bollea, Hulk Hogan. Yep. Michael Buffer then takes over to get everybody ready to be (gasps) underwhelmed. Are you ready to fumble? That's what I wrote in my notes. Pyro goes off and the bell rings with the camera view far enough away to see all three rings but not actually what's happening. Isn't that great? Before it then cuts to three side-by-side screens to cover each of the rings. Shane, you said, but ain't that great? And I thought, well, you know what? Kind of. <laughs> kind of better than the three. <laughs> like, yeah. If I don't have to see it, I don't have to like write notes about it. I tend to be like, well, there's some stuff happening over there. So I just kind of kept doing a roundabout of the screen, seeing yeah. if something happened, and once mm-hmm. something happened, I moved to the next screen, yeah. so I may have missed something. There's no incredible spots here, guys. No, there's not. I'm impressed that, already impressed, and I don't know what Matt has written down, but I know it's impressive to write anything about this, mm-hmm. with the exception of maybe the last couple of minutes. I mean, I'm impressed he got all 60 of the fucking names. I wrote them down I by hand. Had, yeah, I, I paid as little attention to them as possible because I knew I didn't know half of them. So someone eliminates the Yeti first. Ooh. But not 
So not much of that giant being in the ring. Yeah, there are like three giants, and it's like, the idiot hasn't even seen that big. Yeah, you ain't dry humping anybody today, buddy. Yeah, there's got to be a taller guy in that ring, anyway. Orndorff and Double A are double-teaming someone. Ben Wall's being chalked by someone, and Hogan and Flair are having their issues in each of the respected rings. Savage back body drops Eaton out to the apron, but he holds on, while the Yeti is still helping DDP with Mr. JL. The Giant has one of the patrolmen in a lifted chokehold, while the Yeti starts ramming someone into the ring post multiple times. I thought the Yeti was out. Thought so too? Yeah. He's just kind of hanging out because... It is a mess. There's like, plenty of people that go to the floor, but they rolled under. My know. guess is he probably wasn't supposed to be eliminated so soon, so he's afraid to go back there and get yelled at, but he's in a different That's very funny, too, so. and I love I, That's my headcanon <laughs> now, too. Like, well, I really want to get my ass chewed. I'll wait till it's all over, and yeah. they forget. Anderson and Sting fight their way out to the floor where Flair joins the attack, while Pillman is trying to get Macho Man over the top rope to no avail. Bad is punched out of the ring by Regal, but Johnny trips him up, pulling him to the floor to hit the 2D fruity punch. The Giant still has one of the patrolmen in a lifted chokehold, while Hulk is carrying the Nature Boy back into the ring. Stevie Ray is working over Orndorff, placing him over the ropes, but Mr. Wonderful holds on, while in the background of that shot, we see Nobbs dive off the apron with a double axe handle, Onto someone. Someone. It's just a guy. I love Bobby Heenan's like, it's like a prison riot in Attica. I was like, what a funny reference for 1995. It's like, yo, (laughs) even Dog Day Afternoon came out like in the 70s or early 80s. Someone in green trunks is tossed out by Regal while Hawk and Hulk are teaming up on Flair. Bischoff says that he saw Luger hit the floor, but he made his way back into the ring without the ref seeing him. Oh, so that's how we're going to do it? So we should also mention, there's a ref in each inside, inside of each, each ring. ring. Yeah. So there should be more who refs on knows the... if someone goes over the ring ropes or goes under the ring? Because yeah. there's people well, just they should have, all they over They should the have place. like one ref on each edge of the ring if they were tr- truly trying to do this right. Correct. But I would argue that there's no way to do this right. I have a theory, but I'll save it for the end. Road Warrior continues to work over the Nature Boy when two of the screens go to opposite views of Big Bubba and the Taskmaster teaming up on Hogan. Everyone's just brawling away as Tony says he thinks only two people have been eliminated so far. I'm glad you were able to keep track of And there is a rule that I don't believe... We'll get to it eventually. I'm sure you have a note about it. But there's something about this match I didn't quite understand that gets brought up later. Why don't you go ahead and bring it up, because I have no clue what you're referring it's to. It's like once it's down to 10 guys in a ring, they, they move, move to another ring. Yes. So there's there's 20 men in, in each, each ring. ring. Yeah. Once 10 are eliminated in each of those rings, they were to all combine. But as Maybe we'll see, others, one we're... ring like gets down to 10 like pretty quick. Yeah. And they move into the original ring where there's... They still, haven't, they still hadn't eliminated 10 people. Yeah, so there's like 25 people. And the people other there. ring still had like 16 people in it whenever those two rings combined. So it's like, a mess. Yes. But it's like one of those things where they don't match. really like tell you until a match starts. Or when they do, it's like, wait, what? Which ring do they move to? Nobbs knocks Mark Starr out to the floor to be eliminated. As Bischoff talks about Sting saving Lex earlier in the match. That's why So we still don't know where his loyalties lie. Lieutenant Earl is on the floor, and he's trying to pull out Cobra, but that pulls Sergeant Parker over as well to be eliminated. 
So the two patrolmen start arguing at ringside. Uh I mean, I'm sure we'll see that storyline completely play out. (laughs) Yeah, Parker's got to go, you know, use his kickstand. Benoit and Pillman are working together in their ring, concentrating on Mr. J.L., while Luger and Orndorff fight at ringside, with Lex getting his head smashed against the apron. Booker T's backdrop over the ropes by Shark, but only to the apron, so he rolls back in. Ming is chopping away on the giant, only for the big man to return the favor, as the Hulkster backdrops Big Bubba over the ropes, but only to the apron. Sting and Nobbs team up for a pit stop on Disco Inferno, which he always deserved. Yep. Guerrero with mounted punches on Mr. Wonderful. Double A slams someone's leg against the ring post, while Luger is just standing around on the outside with the ref asking him, or you're, you're supposed to be in the ring. And he's like, where does it say that we have to do that? <laughs> That's true. Chris Canyon's on the apron and is punched off to the floor to be eliminated. While Hogan hits a double knocker to the Taskmaster and Barrio Brother Fidel. Regal and someone backdrop Big Train Bart over the ropes to be eliminated. While Hulk backdrops someone over as well. But just to the apron. Just a bunch of flying question marks over the top rope. On the floor, Arn is trying for a pile driver. But Luger reverses into a back body drop when Hogan clotheslines one of the super assassins over and to the floor oh. to be eliminated. Oh, was it Warlord or Barbarian? No. Why are they? We'll never care. Why are they masked? Why can't they just be super assassins but show your faces? Because why can't they just be Warlord and the Barbarian? Oh well, yeah, yeah. Because were they were in WCW as those characters as well. Oh, that's right there. I mean the mask because if you're an assassin, that's an illegal thing. Mario brother Fidel is eliminated, while Shark, the Taskmaster, and Dirty Dick all are teaming up to get Hogan over the ropes to no avail. The Crippler and Flying Brian have Savage hanging on for dear life when someone makes a save. Tony then says that Mike Winter and Steve Armstrong are eliminated as well, when Sergeant Pittman tosses Bobby Walker over the ropes to the floor to be eliminated. Bobby Walker lasted that long, eh? Yeah, Bobby Walker didn't get a question mark. Good for him. (laughs) Barrio brother Ricky climbs up to the top rope when Eddie delivers a drop kick to send him flying to the floor to be eliminated. Followed by Knobs eliminating Stevie Ray with a clothesline. When the Giant then clotheslines Brian as well to send him over to the floor to be eliminated. Sting then goes after the Giant... Only to be placed in a bear hug. Can I get a trap hold? Can I get a trap hold? We see Alex Wright and Pistol Pez leaving ringside, so they must be eliminated. Followed by Shivani telling us that Scotty Riggs has been dumped out as well to be eliminated. Go get your flag. The ref is telling the competitors in ring number two that they're down to ten. So they'll move on, which causes them, they like all pause for a second, like, do we keep fighting? Or, yeah, do we stop? Uh, like, should I, yeah, should I like, maybe just like put a guy in an arm bar? But they go back to brawling before starting to make their way to the first ring. They brawl to this first ring, because I guess that's where they should go now. Someone tries to suplex Macho out of the ring, but Savage blocks and drops him throat first across the ropes to send him sprawling out to the floor. To be eliminated. Tony says that Slater was eliminated as everyone continues to brawl, including Luger and Anderson, on the floor. Benoit and Pillman are now working on DDP when Wall Street charges at a held savage, only for everyone to move, sending 
Vincent Kennedy flying out to the floor to be eliminated. As I was watching this about halfway through, I don't know if that's how far we are, I was like, the only way that this is any good is if for somehow fucking Johnny B. Bad wins. How awesome would it have been if Johnny B. Bad just won this whole thing? That would have been so great. I think that would have been the best possible outcome that's like surprising. It's like 10 plus all the way. 10 plus. And then him and Diamond Doll just like rule for with an iron fist. With she an iron baby. With the bad blaster and she I, got, I got an even better one that I'll save for later. Okay. I'm just like, man, that was like, I was like, that's the only thought that I had after having my mind wiped by question marks. Sting and Flair are now brawling out on the floor when Norton is eliminated by a humorous clothesline. So they believe we are down to 30 men in one ring. I mean, who's to tell? All of a sudden we see paramedics come out with a stretcher and while everyone starts to finally get the message that they all should move to ring number one. And it's like, we're doing a stretcher job here? Or is someone actually hurt? <laughs> someone is actually hurt. Okay. Macho runs Paige into a ring post as we post. go to one screen of the one ring. Ooh. One screen, one ring. Savage then attacks Luger from the apron while One Man Gang goes after the Hulkster while on the floor. One Man Gang. Can you believe One Man Gang? Still around. Biggest surprise of the night. Everybody's brawling and it's all a clusterfuck. As even the announcers don't know how many people ended up on the floor. So even though they are pretty sure that Joey Mags is eliminated. Man, did he have a fighting chance? Nope. Duggan and Booker backdrop Big Bubba over the ropes, only for him to land on the apron. Second time to land on the apron? But Hacksaw then lays it in with a taped fish shot to eliminate Rogers. Oh, look at that. Throwback. The chickens are coming home to roost. So the paramedics start coming back through with the stretcher, and it's Scott Armstrong Uh on it. Oh, I mean, it's it's a bummer that anybody got hurt, but we don't want to see it. He has a neck brace on. He never gets much farther. I mean, he, he goes on to be a referee, so he, his wrestling career is yeah, never yeah. much. Which of the Armstrongs, he, was he in the, the the great... No, he was the probably the least successful. Okay, yeah. okay. But maybe the longest career uh, as far as, you know, being able to do ref work and stay safe? Correct. So Scott Armstrong's being stretched off as Big Bubba jumps back up to drag Duggan over the ropes to the floor to be eliminated. Ha ha ha. Bubba. Road Warrior Hawk then tosses Disco to be eliminated. And Road Warrior Hawk is now one of my favorite wrestlers. <laughs> when the Squire is then tossed by Pittman as well to be eliminated. Eddie hits a top rope double axe handle to double A. While Hogan and Sags team up to toss Booker T. But then Hulk tosses Jerry as well for them both to be eliminated. It makes me happy to see Eddie in there still. Yeah, it does. Savage rolls out of the ring to go after Lex, who has continued to just be at ringside while the holster tosses the Taskmaster to be eliminated. Regal's on the apron, and he is shoved into the ring post by Anderson, post. causing him to fall out to the floor to be eliminated. The giant then gives the Crippler and Flying Brian a double noggin knocker, while Guerrero hits a drop kick on Domingue. DDP's dropped over the ropes to the floor by Bad, but Page holds onto Johnny, causing him to fall out as well for them both. To be eliminated. And Michael's dream is dead. I know. My dream is dead. And at least there's like some of the stuff that we've seen is actually being addressed. So like that's at least shows some vision. But this is like trying to watch the Spice Channel. 
Don't waste your time. Just go to sleep. Pittman then goes charging at somebody, only to fly over the ropes and hit the floor hard to be eliminated. Benoit is then kicked over the ropes by Kurosawa to be eliminated, but Ming then kicks our Japanese competitor out as well to be eliminated. One man gang and Ming begin to brawl when the gang clotheslines Ming over to the floor to be eliminated, as Orndorff tries to lift Hogan over the ropes. Hasn't that been good? Orndorff. Orndorff. Yeah. That would have been cool. Sting with mounted punches on Flair, only to be countered into an atomic drop, which works this time, guys. He doesn't know solid. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, like, you could say he has balls of steel, but you can only take, you know, maybe two knees. This one was a little more atomic than the last one, I guess. <laughs> it's war, it is World War Three. The Zodiac then goes to toss Pillman, only for Flying Brian to reverse, sending the man once known as the Butcher towards Morris, who backdrops him out of the ring to be eliminated. Yeah, get out of here, Zodiac. Kanzuki then shows up to clothesline Humorous out of the ring to be eliminated, followed by Hawk flipping Pillman out of the ring as well to be eliminated. <laughs> and then the Road Warrior has to sit there and wait for the Hulk to hit his spot. He's like literally standing there like, Hulk! Hulk! Hogan! Terry! And the Road Warrior is trying to prevent his former Hellraiser teammate from being eliminated as Brian is yanking on him from the floor. When Hogan comes along to toss Hawk, which also causes Kanzuke to fall to the floor as well, for them both to be eliminated. Wow. <laughs> so we're down to ten men. Sure, who as, we got? I don't know. Cool. As we get a stinger splash <laughs> onto the giant. And Eddie. There's three. Ah, uh, yeah, I do remember being... Excited that Eddie was there, even though we, you know, it's not a big guy. Sting goes for a second one, but the big man moves, causing Guerrero to take the full blow, getting him hung up on the ropes. So he lands on the apron. <sighs> Mr. Wonderful goes for a pile driver on the Hulkster, only for it to be reversed, sending Orndorff over the ropes to be eliminated. Even if Orndorff's going to get knocked out of the ring, which we know is going to happen, how sweet would it have been for Hogan to take a pile driver? He's not doing it. We know. We know. But just, you know, we, a boy can dream. Like, the giant will take a pile driver before Hogan does. No shit. He at least he, he truly doesn't know what he's doing, so it's fine. <laughs> I mean, he fell off a building for the company. Mm-hmm. And they didn't even, and he did, the, he, did, he did the stunt and they didn't even record it. I would have been so pissed that they didn't record it. Luger with a body slam on Macho when the remaining horsemen team up on Eddie. But Guerrero fights back to hit a missile drop kick on Arn. Only for Flair to then lock him into a figure four momentarily. It's like, yeah, this isn't really the best way to do this. Over the top rope. What is he going to do? Monkey flip release a figure four? Not possible. Sting attempts to put double A in a scorpion deathlock, but the nature boy chops him away to save his fellow horseman. The giant then body slams Savage, while Anderson's back to his feet to hit a spine buster! On Eddie, even though Tony calls it a power bomb. Great job, Shane. <laughs> really, Tony? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Really. Really. I mean, we really we we say we love Tony because Tony has uh, history, but Tony is not a good announcer. No, he's not uh, as good of a mic man as Mean Gene, and uh, Tony is lucky to uh, have just been around and been okay enough to keep a job and continue to be paid in wrestling no shade but 
Maybe some shade. Maybe he's got soft hands or something. Definitely has soft hands. <laughs> Hogan rakes the eyes of Luger and the Giant before nailing a double noggin knocker, but it doesn't even phase the big man. Hulk then joins forces with Sting to pummel Flair, while Harn has tossed Guerrero out to be eliminated. Careful, Sting. He was Good on Guerrero. I mean, that's nice that they at least like Guerrero. Guerrero's just like, I'll take the beating later. Who cares? Sting needs to watch out because Hogan was in there talking shit earlier that he's going to... He's going to throw Take him out, down. but he wants to be left with his boys. But he wants the but giant one-on-one. On one. But he wants to be left with the giant. But he also wants to be... He doesn't know what he, he wants. He doesn't know what he wants. He knows that he knows what he won't do, doesn't know what he wants. Stinger splash on the nature boy, then one on the enforcer, all while Macho and Hogan are teaming up on one-man gang. The giant then delivers an atomic drop to Sting before hitting a choke slam on Savage. The horsemen then look for a spike pile driver on the stinger, but he counters, catapulting Anderson onto Flair, which sends him out to the floor, followed by Hogan clotheslining Double A out as well for them to be eliminated. Oh my god! No horsemen. We're horseless. The nature boy goes insane on the outside as Sting and Lex continue to work the giant while Hulk and Macho work on one man gang. One man gang still in here? Stinger and Luger can't quite get the giant over the ropes until Hogan comes over and just flips all three of them out to be eliminated. Oh, you motherfucker. Savage finally gets the gang out as the giant pulls the Hulkster under the ropes to beat on him. But the refs don't see it, so they call for the bell. Ding, ding, ding. And Macho Man Randy Savage is your winner. And new! Post-match, Hogan continues to go after the Giant, body-slamming him on the floor, but then realizes the bell is ringing, and he rolls back in and protests the outcome, telling the ref that he was pulled under the ropes. Mean Gene then enters the ring, giving Hogan more mic time to whine. Of course. When Macho chimes in that Hulk is his friend, and he swears he didn't see nothing. And what it is, is, is what, what it is. is. And I'm a little jittery, brother. <laughs> Savage then claims it isn't cool if there's a dark cloud over his win, and he wants to see the film. Oakland says they will look at it tomorrow night on Nitro, before Hogan sarcastically congratulates Macho. Fuck you, Terry. Saying he wants a shot at the title, followed by them shaking hands. Tony and the Brain they recap... They both do an ooh yeah, too, which I was like, okay, Terry, get out of here. Tony and the Brain then recap what happened with Heenan also yelling at Hulk for complaining. And Shivani says his goodbyes while Bobby goes for the champagne as the credits roll. Tony says it was wild and crazy. That's something. So I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of World War Three, nineteen ninety five? A pretty okay show until it turns into a sixty man battle royal. Bullshit. Yes. I think that I'd like to ask Matt who he thought should win, but I'd like to posit a concept where we've seen things like the big event, which is a show we like. Well, it's not who I thought should win. Okay. I mean, actually, it didn't matter to me who won other than... Hogan. Yeah, absolutely. Which it was nice. It was a nice surprise. It, it was good to get the belt off of Hogan. And absolutely. This is, 
this is the way to get the belt off of Hogan without Hogan losing, because we know Hogan won't, lose. won't take a pin. But my overall thoughts, which will kind of give you an idea of what I was talking about earlier. Yeah. The show, it's a bit of a mixed bag, as there were some quality matches on the show. But the main event sours everything. We talked about it in the last episode, where it's like, well, a main event can turn a sideways some, a little up, or a little down. Exactly. Yep. Absolutely no one comes out looking good. Nope. In this main event, Macho not even the belt. not even Macho no. winning the belt because it's, he's got it's obvious that Hogan was under the ropes. We saw it, the the yeah. camera was right on it. We yeah. saw it. It's no no question, no question, except for Eddie Ed Guerrero. Guerrero. Eddie Guerrero is the only person comes out looking good that comes out looking good because he looked Wait. fucking awesome. He's a against shorter. the Horseman. Yeah. I mean, he was the horsemen were all out before he was. Spoiler: He looks awesome against the horsemen going down. Oh, he, he, I mean, <laughs> we know Eddie Guerrero is awesome. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying that, like, out of everybody in that match, he's the only person. He's that gets the guy. Shine. He's the guy that got a little bit of a shine. Mm-hmm. And that would have been a, a boom! Wow! Welcome to WCW. Yeah, they would have just said here. This show is kind of the opposite of of this uh, Survivor Series '95, where like people get everybody gets a little bit of shine that they want to get a shine. Uh, everybody gets a little bit of like some you know like one two three uh, gets his heel persona over a little bit more. Ahmed Johnson gets a pin. Uh, blah, blah blah. Everybody kind of gets to get back. everybody gets their shit in uh, and. Nobody really comes out looking like terrible on that show where this like this battle royal like everyone people you love look like doofuses whereas Eddie Guerrero doesn't it's like all four horsemen don't come out with any like they just yeah, re- I, I would have I would have liked Benoit and Pillman to get a little bit more shine yeah I mean they did well when they were in their ring but once they got into the the final ring they kind of disappeared. Was that your take? That, that you I mean, basically. Okay. I mean, just that Eddie, yeah. Eddie's the only one that shined mm-hmm. yeah. in this entire 60-man match. Yeah, I think that, like, I don't think there's any great way to do this, but I think that we've seen one-night tournaments and we like them. Why couldn't we have had a few small three single 10-man battle royals? I don't even need... Just, and then three men just in the a, last thirty men. And then three men in a ring. Just the thirty, the last thirty men is all of your top stars in your company. It, it eliminates all of the fodder. Absolutely, but I'm saying if you're going to use the fodder and you want to say there's going to be sixty men in a battle royal tonight, if you do three single ones and then the three guys that win each one, and you have like a three way match, maybe in a cage, maybe no DQ. I don't know. But it seems like, oh, that could potentially be fun because each single Battle Royal has potential for spots and for people to get shine, but even they if have, they don't win. They have the, the potential for it, but they have just as much or more potential they do. to be they do. completely missed because there's just too much shit going on. No, I agree that it's not a, either neither one is a good idea. I just think that that could have potentially been more fun, but that's only potential. It could have been even worse. But that also would have meant that we would have had three battle royals exactly and we had don't have a deep enough roster for it anyway so like it's just one of those things like you damned if you do damned if you don't maybe and, you and should maybe just, you, maybe you just don't have taken away from the rest of the show yeah so it could have been a worse show but in 
with a deeper roster, that might be the more interesting thing to do. I still would suggest not doing either of them. But it was just an idea that I had where it's like, well, you can have a big three-way match with some fuckery, and even the three-way match could be an over-the-top rope thing just for the sake of gimmickry. But my big takeaway is like, okay, is this Mega Powers 2? This is 30 days trying to do Mega Powers 2. Nah, it's it's really just to get the belt off of Hogan. Yeah. yeah. And it should be, like, if, if Cause, Macho... Because, spoiler alert, Hogan and Giant continue to, to feud for I, the next few months. I assumed that, but I was hoping that maybe they were going to try to do, like, a crummy version of Mega Powers 2, which Mega Powers is one of the best, like, WWF plot lines of all yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, done so well and plotted out so well with uh, a Hogan that's not dead in the water yet and a macho man at peak fucking awesome but the wouldn't it have been so much better if macho man was a little bit more adamant about the fact that he won and it wasn't so subservient to hogan we're just like fuck fuck it man i fucking won it Sorry, but if you want this belt, you're going to have to pin me but in if the you ring. Do, but if you do that, you turn you turn him. Cause I, yeah, cause I know. The, the crowd boos. Yeah. Like, the crowd still wants Hogan to win this thing. That's true. The crowd does boo and cheer a lot of stuff throughout this whole show. It's like, what do they even like? We don't know, it seems like. But I guess they like Hogan. For some reason. And it's a pretty packed venue. <sighs> Weird show. Yeah. Loaded in the front. And then, yeah, the... I will say the first. The wheels fall off and... The first third of the show is... Spins out of control and a, burns up upon impact or whatever. A pretty good WCW show. Johnny B. Bad holding it down at the beginning again. Mm-hmm. Johnny B. Bad. That's why I was like, it wouldn't it be so awesome? I knew it would never happen, but I was like, man, I'm high on Johnny B. Bad. I, I would have I liked Bad and... I mean, I'm glad that Bad and DDP eliminated each other because that furthers their story. So that, that was like one of the few good things yeah. about that match. But I also would have liked both of them to get a little bit more shine in the match because they are your television title contenders, so you should probably make them look better. Yeah, and they've been putting on good matches I mean, on your pay-per-views. Good. Where, where's the smart marks at? All right, fuck you. I think it's time we smart it up. So what are some of the best moments of this show? Ladies tag. Ladies tag. Ladies tag was cool. I mean, I, I always enjoy Sting and Flair. I really appreciated Flair's use of the three rings. I think that that was mm-hmm. something that that Flair is one of the few guys that can do correctly, even though it wasn't part of the gimmick for his match. It was a grudge match, in a way. It wasn't titled that, but, you know, it is a grudge match. So there's a little bit of rope, and Flair is uh, just reinstated the horseman. So it was a... It was fun to see him play in... It's like taking him to the playground and be like, oh, have a match here. Can you can you pull off a match in this weird setting that you've never seen before? And I think that he had a lot of fun with it, considering that it shouldn't have even existed. Mean Gene and Savage on the podium. Yeah. I think the first and match Moss was great, Zaki too. match was good. Yeah, that one is, is so, like, it's... So very somewhere between like a like a great television match and we said it it's an American G one match yeah it's, a, it's like American style that's what they're G1 going match. for and it doesn't quite hit what you're wanting it to hit because it's, it's it's too short yeah it doesn't reach any like big highs but it does like prove 
the thing that everybody already knows that these guys are both like great wrestlers. I think Chris Cruz was a delight. Do you think on so? Commentary. It was hard for me to keep up with it. I don't remember Dusty, and I was he, excited he, for he Dusty. Just, he just seemed super excited. I mean, he probably was super excited because he actually was on air for the first time in forever. But <laughs> like, I just thought. But kind of going back to where I, what I was talking about a little bit. So like some of the better spots in the battle royal, like. Road Warrior, Hawk, and Kazuke have their little Hellraisers moment, which I thought was cool. Yeah. But then, of course, it gets ruined because Hulk, like, totally forgets his spot. And they have to, like, sit there and, like, just hold on to each other, like, looking back, like, Hulk, hey, Hulk, show up, where you at? So it's a good moment, but it's also, like, this, like, it also gets watered down. Yeah, it's like, oh, no, it's like that thing where, how, how I always talk about how... These women wrestlers are so good at like keeping things kinetic and not standing around and waiting for the spot. And this is obviously confusion because there's so many people in the ring. We see a lot of guys stand around for spots these, oh, yeah. these days, and it always kind of takes me out of it a little bit. So it's like if these women were doing this in the 90s, why can't people do it today? But at the same time... Remember that time where we went to a show and we had to watch these guys that just like had to hang out in spots for... 30 minutes laying on the ground yeah. for the clothesline. It's hard. You, and you have the benefit of a... You also have the benefit of of cameras, too, that can help you forget, like, on television or yeah. on pay-per-views. So it's rough whenever it's a big spot and you can't... And you're not... I wouldn't say not working hard enough because I'm not a fucking wrestler. I don't want to be that guy. But when you're not just... Be like, yeah, don't do it for the sake of being cool. Do it for the sake of it being a contest. And I think that they do it, those women wrestlers do it so well in some matches that we've seen. And I will give Hogan a little bit of a benefit of a doubt considering the amount of people just in a ring. No. It shouldn't. No excuses. I'll give him an excuse because he's not Ric Flair. I don't care. He's supposed to, or Bret according Hart. to him and the wrestling world, he was supposed to be better than everybody. You don't mess up like that, especially when you had, it results in... Hawk of all people calling, calling you, you for your spot. Yeah, he also joins. Uh, yeah, no shit. He uh, slams giant on the floor like he did mm-hmm. Andre, but it's like it's not that big of a deal or a callback that I even thought about at the time until well, we were recapping. Kind of a, it's it. an afterthought it's of the match because yeah. of what's happening in the like they've already rung the bell. Yeah, it's and like you've already Macho has the belt, and so like this entire thing. If you're in the crowd. Like, you, you probably, see, you you probably missed that completely. It was probably in between the th- two rings that have the little, like, s- sandwich in between them. The, uh, yeah, I don't know. How about most disappointing? Starting with 60 men. I yeah. Mean, yeah. I, just the the premise of the, sh- of the last match in general is just like... I mean, I think, I think a lot of these matches... These guys are a nobody's. lot of these matches probably could have also gone a couple extra minutes. Most, most of the matches probably could have gone a couple extra minutes... But they had to make sure that they had enough time for the battle. I mean, there was 40 minutes left in when they were about to go to when they announced the 60 man battle royal. It took 10 minutes to name everybody. The last match was 30 minutes, and it could have been much shorter. Mm -hmm. Could have been a lot of because because obviously they people just kept rolling to the 
out to the floor. Like, no one really gets eliminated other than, like, the first two people for, like, the first five minutes. Like, just start tossing the jobbers out, guys. Yeah. No one is there to watch these guys at all. Which will lead to my most surprising moment. Anything else disappointing or... I mean, I get the purpose of it, considering how the show itself ended, but I just hate the... Happy the, the, the Luger Savage match, just because of the fact that you've got Savage in there who gets beat by one Luger, and then he goes on in a sixty-man match. And I literally, 60 I literally just like I just thought of that. I was like, wait, Savage lost a Luger. Yeah, it's yeah. the most forgettable thing on the show. Is yeah. the Luger? Uh, I, mean, I, is the Luger I get why they're doing match. it because it sets up an immediate another challenger for but him. Does but it? Because he has a victory over the champion the night that he won. Spoiler alert. It doesn't matter. That's not who he faces oh, at Starcade. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. But it's it's weird because that's the most forgettable match on the show. And it's Ugh. the second. It's like the match. It should be the third biggest to last match. match. <laughs> yeah. It's going yeah. into it and you should Adam, sell Adam, it. Savage Adam, loses two matches yeah. before you he can, wins the belt. Was there a big Lex Macho Man moment in the Battle Royal? I mean, they kept going at it after each other on the floor. Yeah, but like there wasn't but one where one eliminated the other. Savage or passed out from an armbar in his match with Luger, but then he goes on and, and then takes literally out sixty men. Twenty yeah. minutes later, he's walking into the ring and just I, I could believe it if Jittery, around, Jittery you know? Savage uh, goes in there, sells his arm, and then and then lifts Luger over the top with like selling a single arm. And See, then wins with selling his arm the whole match. It totally would have made more sense for for Macho. Savage to eliminate Luger. On camera. On camera. like That would have been really great. I'm, I'm kind of wondering if One Man Gang was supposed to be tossed at some earlier point. That was my most surprising moment. One Man Gang is the last person to be eliminated. Even though because Hogan wasn't technically eliminated. Why is why is he still here? Why Yeah, why... like. like he shouldn't have even been in the top ten. Maybe, yeah, it, maybe Yeti was supposed to throw him out at the very beginning. <laughs> I mean, instead, yeah, he lost anybody his anybody else would have been better as long as they have a name that's memorable. If it was like Arn or any of the Horsemen, that would have been still a better way to get the Horsemen out of the ring. Even though they all leave the ring unceremoniously, leaving the ring as the last man is still better than us not remembering who put you over how about best performer of the night i mean johnny it's eddie for me eddie yeah yeah eddie is hard to watch uh keep track of him throughout all of that i mean you really don't you really don't see him until they get down to the 10 but that's when he shines yeah i might go akira yeah akira's uh split leg i mean uh, bull and akira akira's split leg drop kick uh i love the first match bad and page but I think that Rick, Kimberly's great in, with her. She is. She really deserves some with flowers. Her char- with her character work. Yeah, she deserves some Johnny flowers. Considering heart to heart with her at the very end. I mean, Johnny, Johnny's a good man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's a good man. No, his his last name's you. bad, but he is yeah. neutral good. I'm trying to change his evil ways. I mean, you said your most surprising is One Man Gang being the last eliminated. Anybody else have? I mean, outside of the women's tag team match, my I mean, the women's tag team was, it was. I was surprised that it was on the show, and then I was even more surprised how good it was. I mean, it's the best match on the show. Yes. Yeah. Like I think it's sh- shortlisty. I'm also surprised that they still haven't figured out what a Yeti is. <laughs> yeah, he's a Mortal Kombat character. 
Well, I, I noticed there wasn't a, and this was the last time you will see him. Blah, 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 blah. So I'm curious. I think it's. I think it is. I technically think it is the last time we will see him. He does show up a couple more times in this ninja costume, but he's the super ninja machine or something like that. Good lord! He goes. But we don't. I don't think we ever see. He becomes a noob side. I could have done that for sixty people in this show, and I just decided not to. We we already said the last time we saw them. Come on. Yeah. We took the time. (laughs) We said all their names for Christ's sake. And now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish. Big Van Vader had won the WCW World Heavyweight Championship three weeks earlier at the Great American Bash. And the time had come for a rematch with Sting on August 2nd, 1992. But the Stinger would be injured by a debuting Jake Roberts, causing WCW to find a replacement. They would hold a raffle with Ron Simmons becoming the new challenger. Damn. Simmons, born 1958, would become a two-time All-American in football and would have his number retired at Florida State University. He would have a brief career in the NFL and USFL before making his way to Jim Crockett Promotions in 1986. He would spend his first couple of years working his way up the ladder when he would team with Teddy Long and Butch Reed to form Doom. They would win the NWA World Tag Team Championship in 1990, and then the WCW World Tag Team Championships in 1991. But Reed would turn on Doom, leaving Simmons to begin a singles run. Ron Simmons would unsuccessfully challenge Lex Luger for the World Heavyweight Championship before feuding with Cactus Jack when the raffle would occur. Simmons would become the first recognized African-American to be a world champion, and for his accomplishments, he has been inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. Ron Simmons would continue his feud with Cactus Jack, the Barbarian, and Dr. Death Steve Williams, before the former champion would finally come calling for a rematch. Bum, bum, bum. It's funny, too, because it's like, oh, I guess the world might make sense. But Ron Simmons, I mean, like, Big Cat Ernie Ladd uh, was a champion, but that might have been, I don't know if it was technically a world champion. It was not. It was just a... Mid-South was mid, not. Mid-South, yeah. Mid-South was not considered a world championship. Yeah, okay, so it's, that's the caveat. It's like he was a big champion, but this is territory days where it's not necessarily... Basically, world. in Territory Days, all there was was the WWF and the NWA. NWA. Yeah. Were world champions. So you'd be, yeah, it's like you get your Florida heavyweight champion or your Mid South heavyweight champion. So it's still a big deal, but it's not, doesn't have the term world attached to it. Correct. Next week, December to Dismember, 1995. Where are we going to be? We're going to be in Philly. Oh, you oh, know. dang. You know. Back I again. Know. So music from this week's show is the World War III theme. And Macho Man Randy Savage won our main event. So we're going to play his theme, Pomp and Circumstance, the Electric Guitar Remix. I know. By Go Jimmy Max Hart. Payne. Go Max Payne. I, I don't, with the Electric Guitar Remix, I don't like. No. And it, see, it made me really wish that... Uh, Hogan had won? What, no. Are you crazy? <laughs> it made me wish that because 
WWE owns this now that they would just put Savage's regular music in there in place of it since they take out music uh, for the other shows yeah but I mean yeah yeah. Pomp and Circumstance is already a, a song though it's kind of like yeah, but, uh, but they can use a better version of it because they have a better version of it to you, use but you need a snapshot of the time it's like when we get to watch an ECW show and we get to hear the songs it's like oh yeah so if you like this episode or any of our other ones, go out there and rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast at. Do as Michael says. Five stars or no stars. Don't watch World War III. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns. Recipes. We're going to Philly, so uh, I actually have Philly taken care of for this next one, but I'm going to need some more Philly ideas because this is my last Philly snack. Go back to the old think box again. Yeah. If you have any of those, you can always email us at wrestlinghistoryx at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at wrestlinghistox. That's wrestling H I S T O X. We'll talk to you next week. I take it back. Watch the Leaders. Oh, yeah.